The content on today's podcast episode may be troubling to some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to episode number 32 on the My Story Podcast. On the My Story Podcast, we feature interviews with leaders, influencers, and entrepreneurs who tell their story and the life lessons they've learned along the way. Hi, I'm Conrad Weaver, your host for the show. There are some jobs that require an extraordinary resolve and fortitude. Law enforcement is one of those jobs. The things police officers have to deal with, most of us can't really imagine. Their everyday is our worst days. When we call 911, we expect them to show up, and they do. No matter how dangerous the situation or circumstance, they show up. Have you ever thought about how the years of dealing with traumatic situations affects a police officer? Today on the My Story podcast, you'll hear Mark DeBana tell his story. How he went from serving the community, catching bad guys, to putting a gun into his own mouth, planning to end it all. Fortunately, his life didn't end that day, and today he has committed his life to helping others who struggle with the trauma that comes from police work. Stick around for his compelling story. Hey, if you have a story to tell, I'd love to work with you to bring it to the world. Whether it's a business story or a personal story, if you have something to say that the world needs to hear, I wanna work with you. My purpose is to help you tell your story. We would love to work with you to produce a documentary or podcast to get your message to the world. Send me an email at conrad at conjostudios.com and let's work together to share your message and change the world. And now, here's my interview with Mark DeBonna. Well, today I have Mark DeBonna on the My Story podcast. Mark, welcome to the program. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. So, Mark, tell me a little bit about who you are and what do you do? Okay. I, uh, I'm a retired law enforcement officer. I retired actually a year uh, this, this month. I did 33 years on the job. I did eight in Massachusetts and 25 in Florida. And uh, through my career, I ended up retiring as a patrol sergeant. And through my career, I did quite a bit. I was in the traffic unit. I worked some undercover, some investigations. Uh, but my favorite assignment in law enforcement was actually two of them. One was um, I liked being a patrol sergeant. I liked being right in the thick of things, being right there for the guys and girls. And I was involved in a lot with peer support and critical incident stress management. Uh, I'm all, also a member of Blue Help, and uh, the Help Prize stands for Honor, Educate, Lead, and Prevent. And we're a nonprofit that uh, helps officers that are struggling and their families in suicide prevention through education and resources. And uh, we're very proud of what we do. What motivated you to become a police officer? Uh, it kind of, kind of a funny story. I grew, I grew up in Boston, and uh, my neighborhood had a police officer that had a walking beat, Officer Calabro. And uh, he was like one of the nicest people you could meet. Uh, he would shoot baskets with us. He would, he would talk with us. He would, he would buy us like buy us donuts like uh, when we were walking home from school. And he was, he was a true, uh, when, you look, when you look up the definition of community policing, that was him. He was always involved in the community. You could ask him who lives on what street. He could tell you. 
but he was just such a nice guy. And, uh, and I said to myself, you know, when I become a cop, that's the type of cop I, I want to be. I want to get to know people. But on the flip side of that, he had no problem arresting me. Not why did he get arrested? <laughs> but uh, he had no problem arresting somebody and he had no problem catching a bad guy. So I wanted to, uh, I wanted to be a cop. I wanted the excitement of the job. I wanted to, uh, you know, chase after bad guys. I also wanted to do the right thing for the community. And, but most of all, I wanted to be a positive role model. Hmm. So I'm sure over the course of your, over your tenure, you saw a lot of things. I did. I, I saw quite a bit. And, and uh, we're, we're not built to see horrific things. And, uh, and eventually it's going to take a toll on you. One of the things that stands out in my mind in my career is actually a couple of things, but one of the things that stands out in my mind was uh, I was able to respond to the World Trade Center after we got hit three days later. Wow. And um, that was the most phenomenal thing I did in my 33 years as a What it was, um, was we, were, we volunteered two weeks up there and uh, we worked right at the building. We worked hand in hand with NYPD, FDNY, and one thing I, I distinctly remember was the day I got there, well, actually it was the evening I got there, when I got out of my cruiser, I could smell death. And it just was a very nasty smell. And they gave us uh, these very thin paper masks to wear. And they said, you don't want to breathe in all of this stuff that, that's going on right now. We, we could care less. We, you know, we, we, we wanted to help. And then seeing the first responders, seeing how distraught they were, um, and how angry they were and, and sad. And if most of the time, if you hang around first responders, cops and firefighters, it's the exact opposite. You're joking around, you make fun of each other and things like that. But this it obviously was a serious event, but it was really, it was, it was, it was horrific to see bodies being pulled out of the, out of the rubble, uh, the look, the look at uh, where, the, where the buildings were and knowing that somebody's loved one is, is lying in there, probably dead. Uh, and it just was, it was absolutely horrific. And um, so we came, when I came back to Florida, um, we were never offered any type of um, uh, counseling therapy or anything like that. The only thing they did say to us was, if you want to go to employee assistance program, EAP, it's available. But it wasn't mandatory. At that time, I said to myself, nah, this is, this is just part of the job. No big deal. But shortly after that, I started developing nightmares from that. And shortly after that, also, I received a call for a vehicle on fire. And when me and the other deputy sheriff arrived on scene, we pretty much pulled up at the exact same time. The vehicle was fully engulfed. And we took our fire extinguishers out, and we couldn't, couldn't put the fire out. And we could hear the person in the vehicle screaming. And uh, as much as I hate to say it, we, we watched that person die. And uh, it was absolutely horrific that we could not help that person. So this all happened within a month, and I started developing nightmares, cold sweats, thinking, you know, I should have done more in New York City. I should have done more for that person uh, that was burning. And I started getting this feeling of guilt. What am I doing wrong here? Is it this, this, is not, this is not supposed to happen. But what scared me also was the nightmares and the, the what-ifs. And I just uh, – and then we did a lot of 9-11 um, – events here in central Florida. And when I got done talking about it, what we did, I, dr I drive home and my chest would be tight. I'd be sweating. And I'm like, you know, I'm a young guy. This is not, uh, this was, this was not, you know, now it's almost 20 years ago, but this is, this is not supposed to happen. And I remember hearing uh, people talk about the stress of the job. I'm like, how can it be stressful? We catch bad guys. Yeah. You know, 
And uh, so it just uh, it, it went downhill uh, on a semi-fast track that uh, I just started feeling this, this whole different outlook of, of the way I looked at things. Did and you ever, during this time, did you ever like share some of that with your, with your buddies, with your the people you work with? I did. I did. And most of the answers I got was toughen up as part of the job. You, you, one of the things that was, was really, I thought was strange was uh, you signed up for this. Uh, I, I didn't sign up to, you know, to pull bodies out, out of, out of uh, rubble or anything like that. I know that comes with the job. I get it. And, the, and honestly, th those were the answers I, di I didn't want to hear. So I, I kind of wrote, I wrote it out. I, I said, oh, it'll probably get better. It's just something I'm going through or, 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 just, or just whatever. And but I, I carried that, that guilt and, and developed a little bit of compassion fatigue also. Mm -hmm. I was like, kind of care. Maybe if I, don't, if I don't care about it, it will go away. And obviously that's not healthy. So then um, not too, too long after that, um, I went to work for a different lieutenant. I was a sergeant. And I went, for, I went to work for a different lieutenant who was a very, uh, very micromanaging bully type supervisor. And I say this quite a bit is I've worked for several supervisors, but very few leaders. And uh, he was a supervisor. One of those uh, people say as I do, uh, not, not uh, say as I do, not as I do. And uh, my, my style of leadership was get out there with the guys and girls, lead by example, show them that you care, uh, take a vested interest in their career and take a vested interest in their personal lives also. And we're going to work as a team. You know, you have every team has to have a leader. I get that, but you can lead with the team instead of in front of the team. You go with the team. Um, so he was very micromanagement. He tried to change a lot. He tried to change, reinvent the wheel when he came in. He was a fairly new lieutenant, and uh, he was very demeaning, very demeaning to all the um, all the supervisors that he supervised, all the all the, all the sergeants, and most of the sergeants they kind of took it. They're just like, ah, hey, yeah, you know, what, you know, whatever, whatever. Well, some say it's a good thing, some say it's a bad thing. I'm the kind of, I'm the guy that kind of says it like it is. Um, and but I, have, but I have learned through the years, it's all in the delivery. And uh, sometimes I, I probably should take my own advice on the, on the delivery when you throw your hands up, you're like, ah, oh, I, I can't believe this. this is stupid. Sometimes, or when you send an email, you start hitting backspace. Yeah, yeah, you know. I just uh, so I've learned through the years probably to tone that down a little bit. So uh, it got to the point where um, I didn't want to go to work. I, I didn't like working for him, and that started affecting my job performance. And what I mean by that was um, he, he would say, hey, listen, sergeants don't make arrests. Sergeants don't write tickets. Sergeants just sit back and wait for something to happen. And, um, and you, you watch the guys, follow the guys around, make sure they're doing what they're supposed to do. And again, not, 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 my, my, not my style. I very much enjoyed going out there, making arrests, making citizen contacts, stopping vehicles, and, 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 and talking with people. So uh, it, it, got, it started getting a lot worse. I, my, I got a bad evaluation from him because I wasn't listening to what he was saying, and it became a hostile work environment. Now, I come from the mentality of, you know, starting in 1985, I come back, I go, I go back to the old school mentality. What I mean by the old school mentality is that his cops don't rat out other cops. Cops either handle it between themselves or, or, they, or they just walk away. But the last thing you do is go, is go dime out somebody. That's the, that's the mentality I, I grew up with uh, in my career, was you just did not, did not do that. 
So I told him one time, I said, you know, you get to the point where I, I, I think I'm thinking about transferring, going to a different area. And honestly, we just don't see eye to eye. Whatever I do, I do wrong. And then he started becoming very belittling. Well, you know, if you, uh, if you do what I said, I'll build you the sergeant that I want you built. But you're not going to do it yourself. I'm going to do it for you. Oh, I mean, what kind of supervisor is that? That's that. Plus, he was a big suck up and uh, always hung out with the bosses and and uh, and things like that. So it started affecting my my. Um, he started calling me. He started becoming like insulting. Like he would call me precious. Now that may not sound like a big deal, but it's insulting. Sure. I mean, for someone who's a police officer and who's tough and who's you know wants to be, you know, a leader, that that's not that's not how, that, that's not a term you want to hear. No, 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 and it's it's insulting. Yeah, you know, uh, yeah, and, and and in law enforcement, we are alpha males, and we are supposed to be big and tough. And and uh, so I started noticing a change where I didn't want to go to work, um, but I did, and I just did not want to be involved in anything. I just wanted to kick back, and I said, you know, let me let me ride this out. Hopefully, my transfer will go through, and then uh, tomorrow's a t- tomorrow's another day. But I I just couldn't do anything right with this guy. So then. Uh, one night I was sitting at a fire station and the, the, the FD went out on a call. It was probably about two, three o'clock in the morning. And uh, while the FD's out on a call, the vehicle pulls in. And this lady jumps out and she hands me her baby, her four-month-old baby, and said, um, I don't think my baby's breathing. And she was right. It wasn't. So I did CPR on the baby, got on the radio, called, called for an ambulance. And uh, unfortunately, the baby didn't make it. And to this day... I could feel the baby on my arm when I, when I, uh, when I was doing compressions. So uh, I went to the hospital. Uh, I saw the baby pronounced dead. The dad of the baby, uh, when the doctor told me he died, the dad went off on me. You know, you didn't do your job. Uh, and and I, I took it. I, I just, you know, I'm not going to argue with somebody that's grieving by, by no means. That's just very disrespectful. And I said to the doctor, you know, what did I do wrong? Why, why could not I bring this baby back? Or why couldn't I get a pulse or whatever? And he's, I, I don't know. That's how far the baby was gone. So I um, went home that morning, felt extremely guilty. Felt, um, I felt that I failed. And that was the, during the same time I got, the, I got the bad evaluation. And I started thinking to myself, you know, maybe this, maybe this guy is right. Maybe I'm not the cop I think I am. Maybe I'm not this good uh, leader, and maybe this job isn't for me. But I've been on the job for 21 years. I, I, you know, since I was 21 years old, it's honestly that's the only thing I want to do. So uh, it started affecting me. Uh, I started getting very stressed, and when I, when I get stressed, I, I I binge eat. So in the course of three months, three to four months, I gained 48 pounds very very fast, wow. really fast. Going to Dunkin' uh, going to Dunkin' Donuts, you know, eating the police food, you know, the uh, the donuts. Um, Going to Dairy Queen, getting a triple decker blizzard, washing it down with a Diet Coke, thinking that's going to save weight. Yeah, you know, and constantly eating, snacking, eating on and on and on. But it also affected me, um, my attitude. I had, I was, I developed compassion fatigue. I developed an I don't care attitude. Now, my wife was saying to me that, um, who's a registered nurse, so she knows about stress. Uh, my wife was telling me that, you know, you probably should get some help. You're not the same person you were three months ago. And my answer back was, well, if I get help, I'm going to be blackballed. I'm going to be fired. Uh, people are going to look at me differently. Uh, people are going to think I'm crazy. I may lose my job. 
So I said, no, I, I, absolutely not. I'm, I said, I'm, I'm in a funk. I, I can, I can, I'll just, I'll just ride this out, ride this out. So that obviously caused some marriage problems, uh, my appearance. So one day when I was getting ready for work, I was um, looking in the mirror and I saw a person I didn't, didn't recognize. And what I mean by that is the weight gain, uh, the bad attitude, the I don't care. And I said to myself, what, what, you know, what, what, is, what is going on here? This is just, uh, this is just not me. And um, I was having these explicit, explicit nightmares of the baby. I go out to my mailbox. I open up my mailbox. The baby would be lying there. I, uh, my ba- the baby would be in my cruiser. Every time I drove by that fire station or that hospital, I would break out in sweats. And I, um, during that time also, we also had another, another medical call where CPR was being done. And I had to walk out of the room. And uh, I threw up. I th- actually threw up in, on the front lawn. And I'm like... I don't get this. I, I, I truly, truly don't don't get this. So I Googled like police stress, uh, PTSD, and I saw things I didn't want to see. And I'm like, nah, no. Nah. The, the, the old school, the alpha male of me said, nah, absolutely not. It's like a cold. Eventually it's going to go away, you know, um, but it's kept on getting worse. And the nightmares, the second guessing myself, the, uh, the feeling of worthlessness, and the, the guys and girls on my shift, they said the same thing, that, you know, you're not acting like you normally act. Is there something going on? My answer back was, it's none of your business. And that's not my, that's, that's, that's not my attitude. So um, we, um, I was driving to work one day, and uh, he called me. And we had it out on the phone. We, uh, it was a horrible, horrible phone call. I had to pull over to the side of the road after I hung up with him, and I, I threw up. And I, and I could feel the chest pains. I could feel the sweat. You know, obviously, I, I had a panic attack. And I, 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 I can't do this. Well, while I was on the side of the road, a car pulled up behind me. And a, a woman got out, and she was in scrubs. And uh, she was, I'm a nurse. You know, can I help you? Are, are you okay? And I said, yeah, it must have been something I ate or, or whatever. And she put her hand on me. She's like, you're all sweaty. Uh, you know, she's, you, need, you, you might be having a heart attack. You, you need to, oh, no, I'm, not, I'm not having a heart attack. So she calls 911. The uh, fire department shows up. They put me in the back of the ambulance. And they're like, yeah, we got to take you to the hospital, man. Your heart rate's high. So I signed out AMA against medical advice. I said, no, nah, I'm fine. It's just, it just, it is what it is. The night I go to work, we had a couple of bad calls. We had a couple of death calls, had a couple of uh, not, not really fun calls, for lack of a better word. So I ended up parking in an industrial park and I started evaluating my life. And to be honest with you, my, my life wasn't what it was three or four months ago, not by any means. I just loved life, loved listening to music, loved going to the beach, loved going to see uh, sporting events, loved spending time with my wife. Now it's the exact opposite of everything. And uh, but the, the, the feeling of worthlessness was just sickening, really, really sickening. And when I used to go on calls for people that are suicidal uh, and they would say, I feel worthless or I'm just not feeling right. I, you know, my answer back was get over it, move on. You can get, you got this. Obviously I think of that. I think a lot differently now. So uh, I started getting suicide thoughts and uh, it just, I never had a suicide thought in my life. It never, ever even, even crossed my mind. Well, the, it, it was, the voices were so loud, the thoughts I decided, you know something, you know, maybe they are right. Maybe my wife will be much better off without me. Maybe the agency will be better off without me. And I think it's just time to go. 
end up, um, end up writing the suicide notes. And it's kind of a strange scenario. When I wrote the notes on the first page, I wrote to the agency how upset I was with them, how upset, how upset I was to that lieutenant. And I felt the agency didn't have my back. And uh, this, the second uh, page was to my wife and my mom, who was, my mom then was still alive, and how embarrassed I was, please don't judge me, or you know things like that. I took the piece of paper and I put it in one of those paper plastic holders, slid that in there, took some evidence tape out and hung that off my rear view mirror, put some music on, and I remember the song like it was yesterday, it was Welcome to the Jungle by Guns N' Roses, one of, one of my favorite songs, great rock beat song, pumps you up, you know, gear, gear guitar, the whole, the whole nine yards. Well, I put that on and that pumped me up. So I took my gun out and I, uh, I, I said a prayer. Now, I, I, I was born and raised strict Catholic and Catholics don't believe in suicide. We believe that's damaging the soul. But I prayed to God that, you know, please let me go to heaven. I've done a lot of good in my life and I need to, I need to go to, I need to go to heaven during these course of these three or four months, also, I, I prayed to God to get me through this. And I felt that God wasn't, wasn't listening to me. And that became a stress. And I never in my life would I say I didn't listen to God or I don't believe God was helping me. I mean, it's horrible to say that, but that's how I felt. So in all honesty, I was angry at God also. And I carried a lot of anger. I was angry at my wife because she was telling me I need to get help. I was angry at my coworkers, angry at myself. And I was not in a good place, not in a good place at all. So I took the gun and I put it in my mouth. When I put it in my mouth, this is, sounds really strange when I say that. It was very calming. It felt like things were starting to, starting to feel better. Suicide is not about dying. It's about ending the pain. And I said, it's time to go. It's just time, 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 time to go. And uh, I, I started pulling the trigger. And as I was getting, as I was getting ready to pull the trigger, I could see through my closed eyes, I could see headlights come in. And when the headlights come in, it was, it was another officer, another, another deputy sheriff, uh, Craig McGee, who since has passed away. Craig pulled up to me and he said, what is going on? And I looked him dead in the eye and I, I said, I'm here to kill myself, Craig. So I'm telling you to leave. He's like, I'm not leaving. I'm like, I am your sergeant. I am giving you an order. Leave and leave now. He's like, I'm not leaving. So he, uh, he, he talked me down. Uh, he gave me some really good advice. He said one thing that really stood out. He said, if you don't get help, I'm going to get help for you. Then I told my answer back was, well, if you do that, I'm going to lose my job. So you're doing me dirty. He was, I'm not doing you dirty. I, I care about you. I love you. You're my brother. So I decided to go to, uh, back to Boston and get help in Boston. I figured leaving Florida for a week or two would uh, get away from stresses in Florida and kind of go into my, my safety zone of living back, you know, back living in Boston. So I went, uh, I went to an in-house treatment center and um, checked myself in. And which when I was checking myself in, they, uh, in any mental health facility, you know, they patch you out, make sure you have no weapons. They search your bag. Perfectly understandable, per perfectly understandable. But during that ride there, I kept on saying to myself, my, um, you know, my, my career is done. When somebody finds out, you know, I'm done, I don't know what to do. So when the, the guy came out to pat me down, uh, as he started patting me down, I pushed him. I said, don't put your hands on me. Because we as cops, we don't allow people to get into our, our area. Yeah, you know, and, and he, the guy was a much bigger guy. I'm 6'1", and yeah, he was, he, was, he was much taller than me. And I pushed him away. He goes, don't do that. And I said, don't touch me. 
He goes, well, I want to tell you something about me. He goes, I'm a retired police officer. Um, I, I, was a, I was a client here for a long time. I've got a lot better. And now I volunteer my time here to help my brothers and sisters. My answer back was, you have no idea what I'm going through. He goes, yeah, actually I do. That made me feel a little bit better. But when he put his hands on me again to pat me down, I shoved him again. And I think that was probably more frustration than, than anything else. Well, he did this Chuck Norris uh, leg sweep, whatever, <laughs> whatever it was. And he put me right on the floor. <laughs> yeah, he, the guy's good at what he does. No, no, no question about this. They brought me back to the, um, into the area and I ended up having a panic attack back there to the point where, you know, as a panic attack, part of that is you can't breathe or you think you can't breathe. And um, I have asthma. So they am calling the fire department. The fire department put me in the ambulance and drove me to the emergency room. While I was in the back of the ambulance, I, I was such a nasty person to those paramedics. So, so nasty to them. Everything was F you, yeah, you know, get away from me. Uh, you don't, you don't get this. You're, you're a firefighter. You don't get the cop thing uh, on and on and on. When I got to the emergency room, the same attitude there towards the doctors and nurses. And I'm a very respectful person. I, res I was raised to respect people with authority, respect, respect people with rank and respect people. And, uh, and what I was hearing coming out of my mouth was disgusting me, actually. But that would just amp me up even more. So the nurse said to me, she goes, you know, I have compassion for you for what you're going through. But right now, it's very difficult for me to have compassion for you of the way you're acting. And my answer back was, what? You're here to help me. And I'm good. That is not me. So it got to the point where I was actually shackled, I called shackled, shackled into the bed because I was so combative, picking, throwing my hands all around. And the nurse said to me, um, I'm going to have to get blood and urine from you. So we can do this the simple way or we can do it the difficult way. Well, I decided to have it the difficult way. And it was not an enjoyable experience whatsoever. The catheter, that hurts. <laughs> that was really embarrassing to go with it. Uh, it just, it, and I'm, what is my life going, coming to right now? They brought me back into, um, into a room and I was not in a facility for first responders. I was in a, I was, I was in a basic hospital room and it was absolutely horrible. Just, I, I was, I, my arms and legs were, uh, were, were tied down. I couldn't even scratch my nose. Well, about the, I, the next day, uh, I calmed down a little bit, but they, but every time they came in a room, I became verbally combative to them. And uh, the next person that came in the room was my mom. And I, uh, if you could vision this, picture yourself laying in a bed. You can't move your arms or legs, and you can't hug your mom. It was just, and I, wow. my mother, your know, mom, I, I, I failed you. I, I, I'm worthless. And she's like, No, you're not. You, you'll get through this. Ma, take those straps off me so I can hug you. You know I can't do that. So I became angry with my mother. So I, so I went back to the facility. I stayed there two weeks. And to be honest with you, I told them what they wanted to hear. Mm -hmm. I, uh, I, I lied. I just, I wanted to get out of there so bad. I, I just wanted to go back to work. I can, I can get through this. I can get through this on my own. I don't need anybody's help. I don't need medication. I don't need any of this. So I got back to work and um, I was absolutely miserable at work. But I, I, um, I changed my attitude a little bit towards work. I tried to be a little more friendlier. But the anger, and as we know, PTSD, anger is a part, part of that, outburst and anger. Well, fortunately, I was able to transfer out of the area and get away from that lieutenant. Went to work for another lieutenant who was phenomenal. 
she she was just amazing how how she welcomed me with open arms and but she did say one thing you're labeled as a troublemaker so we've got to we've got to get that label off you we've got to get the old Mokdabana back to work and I said okay so I didn't tell her completely what went on but um, I told a few people uh, some of the co-workers were very receptive others on the flip side were I can't work with you you're the guy that's gonna uh, snap you're the guy that's gonna go postal how can I, if you can't take care of yourself, how can I trust you to take care of me in a, in a violent situation or shots fired call or something like that? So I went to a training class and the training class was a person up there talking about law enforcement mental health, talking about PTSD, talking about anxiety, depression. But one thing that really stood out was he was reading out of a book. And, and I said to myself, this guy has no clue whatsoever. And I'll, I'll be honest with you, Conrad, it triggered me to no end because wow. this guy's a faker. You know, this, that's what I thought to myself. You know, he had two books with him. One of the books he had was Emotional Survival for Law Enforcement by Dr. Gil Martin. That's a really good book. I have read that since. That's a really good book. The second book, I don't remember what it was. But it just the things he said, I'm like, you know, and to be honest with you, and maybe I'm dumping on this person, but he never spent a day on patrol. He, 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 was, he was an administrator. So I asked him, can I speak to the class? His answer was, yes, absolutely. Well, when I spoke to the class, I spoke very angry. A lot, a lot of FUs in the, in my, as I spoke, a lot of anger, a lot of display of anger. Well, that led to a uh, discipline write-up. And I said, oh, my God, this I, 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 I've, I've got to do something here. I, I'm, I'm going to end up losing my job. I, 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 I really am, you know. So I so I decided to find, find a therapist. Well, I went from one therapist to another, and um, it just wasn't working. They we just weren't clicking. And uh, finally, I found my, my present therapist to this day, Jamie, who's a retired law enforcement officer who's phenomenal, who truly, truly gets – what I, what I say, how I feel. And we have, she has taken me from rock bottom all the way to, to my retirement. And to this day, I still, I still uh, go see therapy with her. I started seeing her twice a week. Then I went to once a week. Now I go every other month and I'm on a maintenance plan. So I'm pretty proud of myself to get there. One of the things um, I would like to mention was um, it was tough. I was diagnosed with PTSD, depression, and anxiety. And it was very difficult to go to work under those circumstances. And especially when people heard that I have those diagnoses, I felt that people were, I got paranoid. I thought that people were talking behind my back or, or to my face. And I thought that maybe uh, people wouldn't trust me. For the most part, it was very, uh, it was great how, how people responded to me. Unfortunately, the administration looked at it totally different. They looked at me as a liability. They looked at me as somebody that they have to keep an eye on. And I did hear from, a, uh, from one administrator was, you have to look at our point of view. If you shoot somebody in the line of duty and people pull your records, they're going to see you're a liability because you've been treated for a mental health illness. You're damaged goods. Hmm. I said to myself, you know, we have an expression in law enforcement, we're one big family. Why aren't we out there helping our brothers and sisters? So instead of using me as yesterday's garbage or, or trying to push, some, push me away and hide me somewhere, hoping I'll retire or, or I'll leave or whatever, no, that's not how it works. That's not, not how it works. I'm not the only person in that agency that was struggling with something. Sure. And right now, there's somebody in that agency that's struggling with something. 
So I, I took it upon myself to uh, crusade. And what I mean by crusade is um, I contacted the media. I, uh, I, I wanted to get the word out about mental health and about uh, law enforcement suicide, and which is the number one killer in, in, law, in law enforcement and in first responders. Last year, we used, lost 228 officers to suicide, 134 line of duty deaths. That is just absolutely horrific. That's crazy. It's just insanity. What, and what are we? And what are we doing for these officers by putting on a a fifteen minute video and say, "Watch this and sign this piece of paper"? That's a bunch of crap. That's what that. That's cool. That's that's all. That's a, in typical cops. We're going to hit fast forward so the video is over. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just, right. <laughs> yeah, you know that's that's how we do things. You know. So well, it's, I find it interesting that that police officers have to go out and get certified with their weapon every year, right? Yes. Where is the thing where they have a mental health checkup every year? Is that, Which they that should. happen? Amen. They should. Absolutely. And this brought this brings up a good point. Every day or every night, I work nights. When I went to work, I wore a bulletproof vest. I carried a gun, a taser, a stick, mace, all that stuff to protect me physically. That if a bad guy breaks bad, I'm breaking bad with him. Okay. That's absolutely great. But what really helped me up here? My nothing. We had a peer support units. It was okay, but nobody goes to within your agency because they're afraid they're going to get ratted out. So it was, it was, it was, it was difficult. I was able to, you know, and there was times I couldn't get out of bed. There was times I didn't want to go to work. There was times I had pain attacks at work. The times I had to pull my cruiser over the side of the road and, and, and put myself in a better place. And it was extremely, extremely difficult. It was difficult dealing with suicides on calls, extremely difficult. Because now I look at, you know, suicide is totally different. So it was tough. Uh, it, it really was. But I said, I've, I've got to, you know, I got to make my retirement and I've got to make a difference. And the difference honestly was more important than my retirement. Was that what motivated you then to really get help and to, and to, to make it through that? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And with the help of Jamie, it did. It did. She said to me, one thing was, well, let's get you into something of giving back. But I, I want people to listen to when I say this, you can't help somebody if you're not healthy. Now I, I've talked to officers that have struggled, and they say, "I want to do what you want, what you want to do, what you are doing. I want to do presentations. I, I want to talk to the media. Not right now." And that kind of hurts them a little bit. But you've got to get better. Like I said earlier, talking angry is not going to help. Talking mad is not going to help. Punching the table while you're talking is not going to help. By talking, using humor, um, not afraid to have that difficult conversation. That's what that's what's going to help. But you've got you you've got to be on your A game before you can before you can help the else. Now God bless those officers. I want to help others, and I I got their back, and eventually they will. But you have to get better yourself. Sure. And I'll tell you when I decided to retire, um, I could have stayed another five years. I felt that I was in a toxic environment. In law enforcement, is a toxic environment. Uh, look, look at look at NYPD uh, getting water dumped on them. Um, while they're arresting somebody, someone behind them comes up and uh, with a mask and sucker punches them. Uh, bad, you know, the, the, the bad mouth and, and things like that. We're in a, law enforcement is a very tough job. It's not as easy as everybody thinks it is. And there's no way you can't bring those stresses home with you. But you have to learn to you have to learn to leave the job at the door. And a lot of what you're bringing, but what the, that officer is bringing himself or herself with. You know, with all the things that are in in their in their head, right? They're bringing that home right. too. Right, right. And when you go home, you're still in cop mode. 
Now, I can tell you right now, that doesn't work in my house. <laughs> I, can, I can tell you that right now. It, it doesn't work. So you have to learn to take some time off, um, not to work every overtime shift that comes down, every off-duty job that comes down because you want to uh, pay your mortgage early. You want to buy a new car. You want to buy nice things. I get taking care of your family. I really get that, and we should take care of our family. However, I, uh, you got to take care of yourself, yourself first. Going to, going to walk on the beach, going to spend three or four days on the beach, going to do some things that you enjoy doing, spending time with your other half, things like that. Uh, laying on the couch and just chilling, listening to some music. Those are things, because when you, when you become happier or you become better, you are going to deliver a better work product. You're going to have a better attitude and you can look at things a lot differently. Does, uh, does me talk, doing presentations? Yes, that, that, that is therapeutic for me. That helps me a lot. Because sometimes I get off that 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 podium, get away from that podium. I'm like, "Ooh, wow!" But uh, but I feel that I my, my goal in life is if I help one officer, I, I've done my job. I've totally totally done my job. And uh, when I retired, it was like it was like the door, the floodgates opened, and it just was. Uh, it, it's absolutely incredible. I can I can devote more time to Blue Help, more, more, more time to this documentary. Um, I don't have to look at my books. And say, oh man, I got to work tomorrow, so I can't do that. I, I, got, I got a lot of free time mm-hmm. and uh, retirement is just absolutely, I, I look at life totally different now. Uh, it was surreal for the first month. It really was. I walk out to my driveway and my cruiser wasn't there anymore. Um, uh, there's no uniforms. Was there a really a sense of loss then? When, when- it was, there was a sense of loss and sense of, and also loss of identity mm. that, oh my God, what am I going to do now? I, I don't work anymore. You know, uh, I, uh, I drive down the road and, and I see a traffic stop. I start breaking and start looking over. You know, obviously I'm not going to jump out, but if the officer's rolling the ground somebody, I'll be the first one to jump out. Absolutely. And uh, it's weird to say that when I see firefighters and officers, hey, thank you for what you do, because I heard that quite a bit. But now it's weird for me to say that. And I truly believe that when I say, when I, and I truly, truly believe that when I, when I say that. But through the, through the time, it, it, has, it has got a lot, lot easier. It, it, it truly, it truly has. And it's now it's, it's, it's easier for me to give back to, to help struggling officers help. Uh, and it doesn't have to be an officer, anybody that's struggling. It really, cause I've seen so many people's careers that people have lost their careers due to PTSD, uh, due to departments washing their hands of them, that do departments, you know, trying to hide them or forcefully making them retire. And that's not how we treat our people at all. We, we have to treat our people as human beings, when somebody is struggling with something, instead of saying, oh, my God, let's uh, let's take away their gun and let's put them behind a desk on the third floor in the corner where nobody's going to see them. What have we done for them? All we've done is piss them off. That's all, that's all, that's, yeah. all, that, that's all we've done. For and you them. may have pushed them closer toward doing something, doing some harm to themselves. Exactly. Because like 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 you said earlier, that the sense of the job is gone. You know, what value what value am I giving the agency right now except pushing papers or doing Politically, politically correct event or, or something like that. So and one thing agencies need to look at too is you need to prepare your officers and your firefighters or whoever for retirement. You've got to, uh, when I signed those papers, I said to myself, oh my God, I, I'm never going to be a cop again. Never, ever, ever. And that after 33 years on the job, that was just unbelievable. It truly, truly was. On the plus side of that, uh, when I retired, I was 257 pounds. I weighed myself actually right before this. I'm at 214 pounds. Mm. Working out, um, much, much better positive attitude. 
And uh, life is really good. It just, I really enjoy what I do with Blue Help, what I'm going to be doing with you guys. And it just, I look at life just, just totally different now. And uh, it's, it's, it's phenomenal. There is life after the job. There oh. truly, truly is. Well, how many years has it been or, or, or how long has it been since you retired? It's been one year this month. Okay. Funny story. I got, I got sworn in. We'll use the police humor here. I got sworn in on June 6, 1985, which was a Friday. The first Friday of June is National Donut Day. <laughs> <laughs> kind, of, kind of cliche, kind of stupid. I retired April 1st, which is April Fool's Day. So I don't know if there's some type of connection there. <laughs> and I love donuts. So yeah. so there's, uh, who doesn't love donuts? <laughs> so what's your favorite donut? Uh, glazed. Okay. Well, what's your favorite brand? Krispy Kreme? Uh, oh, I'm, old, I'm, I'm old school, Dunkin' Donuts. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm not, I, I'm, I'm, the, I'm the old school cop. I go to Dunkin' Donuts. I don't go to Starbucks. I, uh, I'm the old Cool donuts, you know, I'm, I'm that, that old school mentality. And I guess I'll tell you a quick Dunkin' Donuts story. Right before I retired, I used to go to the same Dunkin' Donuts right at the start of my shift. And I could just say what I wanted uh, on, on the dry, in the drive-thru where I didn't go in. They knew right away what I, uh, what, what I wanted. There were so nice, very, very nice people that worked in there. Every time, I don't drink coffee, I drink tea. I drink hot tea. Every single time they hand my cup of tea, they wrote on it, thank you for your service, with a smile face. And that meant so much to me. It, 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 it really did. So uh, I stopped going to that Dunkin' Donuts because it's not the area that I live in. And I went there about um, six months ago. And I, I walked in and the, uh, an older lady owns it. And she came around the corner and hugged me and said, do you know how much I miss you? And I thought to wow. myself, wow, that's just incredible. She used to come in here and make us laugh and take pictures with us, take selfies with us. When we call for assistance, you were the... You were the first one there because that Dunkin' Donuts probably wasn't in the best area. Uh, and it just was like, and she's like, well, if you ever want a job, yeah, you know, I'll hire you. I'm like, that's probably will go down because I'll eat a lot of donuts. So but, um, and I said to myself, wow, I impacted that person. It was just, uh, it's, it's really, really cool. And uh, I, the same day I retired, a very close friend of mine retired. So we spent a lot of time together and it's good. We rebonded our, our, our friendship. And uh, it's, it's really good. Unfortunately, now with everything that's going on right now with uh, Corona-19, virus-19, it's, it's difficult. But every Thursday, we have our retiree lunch. There's about eight of us. And we go to this one Italian restaurant all the time. We sit there for about two hours. And we have a good time. We laugh. We joke. And that's, that's what life should be. But it's only been a year. Uh, I have no intentions. I've been offered to go to other agencies, which I take as a compliment. I, uh, I really take that as a compliment. I've had chiefs of police reach out to me. But I, I've learned, Conrad, that that part of my life is closed. So what has to happen across the country with agencies? What has to happen in leadership to really turn the corner on, on cops and, and law enforcement dealing with these kind of things? And what has to happen there? It's, 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 it's several things need to happen. Number one, probably the most important, one of the, well, I would say one of the most important things is this, is we have to have agency buy-in. We have to have administrators understand that suicide is the number one killer of law enforcement. Okay, I'm not taking anything away from my 134 brothers and sisters that died in 2019. I am not taking anything away from them at all. We have to recognize that mental health wellness is paramount in law enforcement. We can't listen to these ministers can't say, well, I don't have the money for this or 
again, put that 15-minute video in or have somebody come in and talk that reads from a book who doesn't have life experience when it comes to that. So it has to be taken as a priority. Like you said earlier, you go to the, you go to the, the range to qualify once, once, twice a year or whatever, okay? You, you want those skills of you, use your gun. That's also they send you to the range for another reason, because of liability. Because you have to be proficient with your weapon. Why can't you be proficient with your mental health? So you need the buy-in from, from administrators to say, this is going to be part of my in-service training. This is going to be a part of, I'm going to have a mental health professional. I'm going to have, I don't claim, I never claim to be a mental health professional, but to have somebody like me come in and speak for a couple of minutes and say, hey, listen, I get it. This is the bad place I was in. This is the good place I'm in now. I'm not looking for a pat in the back. I'm not looking for people to hug me and say, you poor guy. That's exactly not what I'm looking for. I want somebody to learn from me. Uh, and that It needs to be addressed at the police academy. If you told me uh, June 6, 1985, that I would be on Zoom on April 16, 2020, talking about my uh, my suicide attempt. First of all, I'd ask you what Zoom is. <laughs> I would say, what? Are you crazy? There is absolutely no way I would be doing that. So this needs to be taught at the academy level also. And it needs to be taught on a one-on-one basis. And what I mean by that is we use an expression at uh, Blue Help. The expression is, we have your 12. Now, we here in law enforcement, I got your six, I got your back. That's all well and good. We should not have people sneaking up behind us. That's the analogy of that. But your 12 is like me and you are looking at each other right now. We're, both of us are looking at our facial expressions. We're looking at our, our, our body language, our demeanor, okay? That is up to the officers that work with the other officers, the guys and girls, every single day, every single night, to watch their reactions, and especially after a stressful call, a death call, a shooting or whatever. We need, we need to take care of each other. And I'll say another thing also is you have to be prepared to have that difficult conversation. In, in my career as a sergeant, I did 19 years as a sergeant. I wrote three people up in 19 years. So obviously I wasn't a micromanager. I wasn't, uh, I wasn't a bad guy when it came to that. But I never liked discipline. I never liked sitting down and saying, hey, listen, I got to talk to you about this. But that came with my job. That came with my job as a supervisor. Now, let's put this on the mental health side of that. You see a coworker, loved one that you believe is struggling or just not there saying as a being, you've got to have that difficult conversation with them. Whether it's grabbing a cup of coffee, um, parking car to car, whatever, uh, or something like that. That's what you got. I don't recommend go for a beer because I don't don't recommend self-medication. but I do recommend is having that difficult conversation. And I've had conversations with officers where they've literally broke down and cried, where they became um, angry, where they became angry at me. Uh, right before I retired, I had to, uh, in Florida, we call it a Baker Act, where it's a 72-hour commitment to a mental health facility. I had a Baker Act, a, 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 an officer from another agency, and he was so upset with me. You, you just ruined me. Fortunately, the agency he worked for is proactive when it comes to mental health. And my exact words, I don't want to say his name, but my exact words to him was, as I was at the hospital, someday you're going to thank me for this. And about three months later, when he got, got, uh, when he got feeling better, got over his anger, he called me, let's meet for coffee, unless you don't want to. I said, no, I would love to meet you for a cup of coffee. He came out crying and hugged me. Mm. That's what it's all about. We People that suffer from, suffer from a mental health illness 
we're not bad people. We're not, we're not yesterday's garbage. We're not one flew over the cuckoo's nest. We're going to put them in this hospital ward and put these things on the side of their temples. And that we're beyond, we're beyond that. But honestly, we're better than that. We're much better than that. When an officer, say, say an officer gets in a foot pursuit and he or she's running after the bad guy, they, they fall and they break their leg. They get transported to the hospital. And at the hospital, people come by and visit them. And they're signing the cast, hey, get well, get well, get well, bro. I got your back, bro. Administrators are coming in and saying, you take all the time you want. You know, you come back when you're ready, okay? A officer checks themselves into an in-health facility for a mental health issue. Are people going to that facility to visit them? I guarantee they're not. Are they mm-hmm. on their forehead saying, get well soon, bro? No, they're, they're de- definitely not. We have to understand administrators, frontline people, and anybody that's involved, including the public, that mental health illness is alive and well in law enforcement. And we've got a better, we, we've got to do a better job. Are we doing a good job? To a point we are, sure, a, 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 absolutely. But we can always be better. We have to strive. That's where your motivation comes from. That's what, you can't hit a home run every single time you go to the plate. But if you hit a double, that's not a bad thing, not, 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 not by any means, but we've got that public awareness is huge. When I, when I do my presentations and there's members of the public in there, they'll come up to me and say, I never knew this. Well, now you do know this. So this officer that may seem angry or that may seem like not the nicest person by any means, maybe he or she is struggling with something. And Is that why perhaps that. we have you know, bad shootings that end up on the evening news? Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 And then to go a step further with the bad shootings, now it's all over YouTube and all the YouTube warriors who are never cops are saying, oh, they should have shot the gun out of the first in the hand. They should have done that or something like that. Well, there's there's a reason behind there's a reason behind the badge, the alleged bad shooting or the or the or the response to resistance. You see the the, the clip of the cop and he's using his stick and this, that, the other thing. Well, I'm not saying it's right or wrong. What I'm saying is there's got to be something going on. We should not, we should not be forcing our officers to feel bad or, or better yet, not letting our officers feel bad. Like you said earlier, a once a year checkup, I like to see more. It's going to be a tough sell. That really, really, that truly, truly is. But I can guarantee this. I would put my retirement check on this. If we did that, if agencies did that, there will be somebody there that will say to themselves, yeah, that's what I need. They will, they will get the help that they need as long as it's confidential and and dealt with a mental health professional that deals with first responders. Right. That's how specializes in first responders or has a connection with first responders. My, my therapist, Jamie, retired cop. Um, I have two other therapist friends that uh, one's married to a cop and one's another former cop. Those are the ones I send people to when they say, hey, do you know somebody? Because they get the connection. Because they can better understand what you've been through, what you're going through. Sure, the traumas, drama, yeah, all, all that. So that's things I, su- I suggest. But any help is good help. But uh, like I said, you know, I went through three or four therapists till I found Jamie, and uh, I definitely, uh, I, I'm, she's just awesome. You know, as a civilian, I've just in the last few months when I've been researching this, I kind of come to the decision that I would much rather have, you know, know that a cop or a police officer is getting help and they're out there still working and getting healthy than having him or her out there 
pushing it aside, saying, I don't need help. And they're responding to things and they're not healthy. Exactly. It's, it's exactly. And it's, and eventually you're going to be a time bomb waiting to explode. Right. It just builds up and builds up and builds up. And we know, everybody knows this, eventually you have a breaking point. What needs to happen so that there's not a stigma for officers to ask for help? Right. And unfortunately right now there is a stigma for, for asking for help. And we have to, we have, that's a major hurdle that we have to get over. We, um, you know, it, it's like this, when you have a toothache, all right, that will go away. Second day, you still have it. Third day, you still have it. Ah, I have a, there's not really many people that like to go to the dentist, you know? <laughs> uh, but <laughs> eventually that tooth, tooth probably has to be pulled would be my guess. Right. So we have to get over that stigma that it's okay not to be okay. And uh, it, it's, it's okay to get help. But if we hear that from our department agency leaders that, that will say to you, hey, listen, you need some time off? We, we, you got this. You, you, you want it? Here's, here's a list of resources that we have that are first responder related. You, you, okay, no problem. Is there anything wrong with taking a mental health day off? A- absolutely not. Yeah, you know, and it's just, and if you work for a busy agency, it makes it even more difficult. And we'll just use NYPD as an example, who had, um, I believe, 10 or 11 suicides in 2019. Some of those officers literally go from call to call to call. And in their eight or 12 hours that they work, there's no time to decompress. There's no time to, uh, to take a breather, to, to sit back and, and just say, oh, wow, because they're so busy. It's time to go home. Your head's probably still spinning. And so we've got to show our officers that we have their backs. We really, mm-hmm. truly, truly, we truly do. There's, there's, there's no, the, 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 there are several people in the public that love cops. There are people that don't, but if you, the majority, I would say they have our backs. Sure. Absolutely. You know, and it's just, uh, if we could just change the culture and just change the stigma of this, but the stigma is going to be very difficult to change. It truly, it truly is. What is Blue Help doing uh, in in this whole matter? What 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 do you guys do? What what do you do for for police officers and their families? I, I can tell you, Blue Help. I, I was with a different organization before I went to Blue Help, and uh, Blue Help is is the major leagues, an, an absolutely incredible incredible agency. And some of the things we do is one is um, when we hear about a suicide, is we research it, and we will not announce it as a suicide unless the agency or the family or both have said, yes, it's a suicide. And then we give that officer honors. We honor that officer's death. Now, majority of the agencies do not honor a suicide as a line of duty death. We honor it as a death. So we send the family an honor box and it has uh, different items in it. We research the family if they have young kids. We'll put um, gift cards in there to like Walmart or Target uh, for diapers or whatever. We, we give, give them a list of resources that are available in your area. We have a whole list of volunteers that are widows, survivors, that, that, that we can connect that survivor with. So we don't leave the family out by any means. And, uh, and I think that's, that's, that's very important to assist our, 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 the families because uh, they just lost a loved one. And there's probably a lot of questions on why, why they died by suicide. So we want to honor our suicides we want to educate. We want to educate agencies. We want to educate officers and families that it's okay not to be okay. We do a lot of. We do. Well, unfortunately, what's going on right now? Our presentations are, are, are next to none. Um, 
So that's that's unfortunate right now, but we do a lot of presentations throughout the country. We do a lot of media. We do a lot of connections with uh, with, with other other organizations, you know, such as yours. Um, and we uh, we have a list on our, on our I'm sorry, sorry on our website. It's called First Help. And if you click on that and you put in very basic confidential information, it will come up with a list of what's available for you in your area to seek help. We also support another organization called Help the Blue. And Help the Blue is gonna be like a, tel a teleconference. There'll be 24 hours a day, there will be, uh, there'll be a mental health professional uh, on that phone or on the uh, conference they'll be able to assist you as in need and prior and, and further assistance as time goes on. And I think that's phenomenal because you can actually pull it up on your phone and you can talk to a person face-to-face -face on phone. And that is a mental health professional. That's not a, um, and I'm not taking anything away from some of the hotlines, but some of the hotlines, they're, um, they are mental health professionals, but they don't have the training that um, Help the Blue is gonna put on and that's gonna save lives, just like First Helps, it's gonna, it's, it's gonna save lives. So we, so our big thing, a, lot, a big thing with Blue Help also is public awareness. That we, we do walks, we, um, and a lot of people go to the walks, to, and uh, one thing that we're, unfortunately got canceled because of the issues going on right now, is we do a survivor dinner. We were planning for this police week to uh, have 100 families come to Washington, D.C., we pay for their travel, and their hotel and pay for their dinner. And we um, recognize them and we show them that, that we're there for them. And it's, it's good networking for the survivors to meet other survivors, to meet uh, people like myself who's been in a dark place. And it's, uh, we, did, we, did, we, did, we did it last year and unfortunately got canceled this year. And we've developed, we developed a, uh, another thing called uh, Camp, uh, Camp, sorry, Camp April, where it's for kids. That have lost uh, their their parent, their, one of their parents uh, to suicide, where they can interact with other kids. So we do a lot. Like mm -hmm. unfortunately, right now, a lot of it's on on stand distance. Right. But uh, we want to show our officers and families that we we are there for you. We are one hundred percent. We update our Facebook page constantly. Um, we try to put fun things on the Facebook page mm -hmm. too, and just and try to put, put smiles on people's faces. And uh, we, we we can definitely say we can definitely uh, help somebody. There's no question about that. So if there's a someone that's a law enforcement or, or a first responder in general that they're thinking about, maybe I should go ask for help. Where can they go? Uh, I would uh, a couple of things. I would go. I would go to uh, um, help the blue. That's uh, that's huge. That's something that I, I I think is I think is absolutely phenomenal. And also we we you can go to uh, so one of the other go to blue helps uh, webpage. Click on first help, and again, a link will fall down. You type in very basic confidential information, and um, that will help. That, that they'll give you a list of resources all around the country. Send to help a blue. There's, there's a professional online with you. Uh, there's cop line. There's back the blue. But the two things that stand out in my mind is uh, help the blue, and then obviously, obviously blue help. Mm -hmm. Well, Mark, thank you so much for what you're doing, and uh, just you know, what you're going to continue to do. I, I just wish you the very best in, in everything. And as you go out and help your fellow officers out there, uh, just, you know, I, I hope that everyone listening, everyone who's out there, you know, working the streets will take their mental health seriously 
and to, to, to ask for help. I mean, that's so important to ask for help. And then uh, I think what you said where we need to be vigilant and, and look and, and take that serious, have that serious conversation with our buddy. Right. You know, I think that's so important. Uh, even, you know, in, in my marriage with my wife, you know, if I see her, she's struggling with something, I'll, I'll say, Hey, what's going on, you know, dig into it and let, let's figure this out. And because that, that, that can save a life. Oh, absolutely. There, there is no doubt whatsoever. And like I said earlier, it's okay not to be okay. It right. It truly is. But you don't want that okay to become a, a disaster. So sure. you've, got, you've got to get, and you, you summed up perfectly. Absolutely. I agree. And with so many, I mean, this year, I think I read just last week, there has already been 50, over 50 suicides, police suicides in the U.S. Yeah. Yeah. I looked last night and uh, it's just sad. It's so, it's so, so. I mean, and we're recording this, you know, the middle of April and there's already over 50 suicides, you know, from the police officers, police officers. And that's just unacceptable. Right. And if you do the math, we're not hoping for this by any means, but if you do the math, we're right on track as from last year. And um, that's, that's just um, not good. Not yeah. at all. Yeah. And then to have an agency like NYPD that had so many suicides, um, you know, you, you get, there's something going on here. Yeah. And I'm sure that this COVID thing is not helping things either. Oh, no, not at all. And eventually it's going to affect first responders' well-being. There's no question about that physically and mentally. Right, right. So one one final question for the podcast. So so I'm a filmmaker, and when you're making a documentary, making a film, you always have what's called the log line. And log line is that phrase or sentence that describes the movie. So when the movie about your life is made, what will the log line be? It's okay not to be okay. I think I'm, that. Um, yeah, yeah, I think, I think, I think, I think that would be. I was trying to think of a Clint Eastwood line, and <laughs> <laughs> and I couldn't think of it because uh, you know I had some tra- child uh, trauma also, um, and I grew up very poor. And but I, but uh, I think yeah, it's okay not to be okay. I think that's I think that's perfect. I like it. I like it. Well, thank you for your service and well, for thank you. You know, for really sacrificing, you know, your life in a lot of ways for for your your community and for the communities where you served, and I think that's I think that's what our first responders do. Amen. Is they uh, they give up, you know, some of their personal time and their life for for the community. That's right, important. right. We I got to tell you, we we put we put a lot into our into our careers. We do more than probably the, the general public thinks that we do. Well, Mark, thank you so much for taking time to uh, talk to me on the on the My Story podcast. Thank you for telling your story. You're very welcome. Thanks, Mark, for taking time to talk with me. I'm so glad your life didn't end that day, and I'm grateful for you and the organization that you work with who are making a difference in the lives of police officers around the country. Thank you for your service. Hey, if you enjoy these podcasts and think that more people should listen, I would heartily agree. So why don't you give me a review on Apple Podcasts, then share this episode with a friend. You can send it through a text message or email or through a Facebook post. And be sure to follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and on Facebook. The music on today's show is from my friend, Drew Davidson. You can get all of his music on iTunes or Spotify or at drewdavidson.com. Last, be sure to subscribe to the show so you won't miss an episode. And if you have an idea for an interview you'd like to hear, send me a message and I'll see what I can do. Thanks so much for listening. I'll talk to you again next week on the My Story Podcast. (laughs) 